welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be uh, talking about the election. In fact, we're going to have a candidate spotlight uh, this uh, segment with Christina Hagan, who's running for Congress in the 13th Congressional District. Uh, she is a Republican running against uh, Tim Ryan, the Democrat. We're going to be talking about the 13th Congressional District. Also want to let you know there's just 13 days before the November 3rd election. And, of course, if you've received an application for absentee ballot, you want to get that filled out and either put in the mail or bring it to the Board of Elections, even better yet. Uh, during business hours, you want to check with your local Board of Elections. Each county has a Board of Elections, and you can find that at our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. Just Google that, Ohio Christian Alliance, or go to ohioca.org, and then just uh, click on down to, it says, uh, track your ballot and check its status at your county Board of Elections. Click on that link. And then you can go in to see if your uh, ballot has been mailed to you. If you did receive it, you want to look at the uh, times of operation of the Board of Elections, and there's a drop-off box at the various county boards of elections. So if you want to fill that out and then get that back in if you don't want to put it in the mail. If you are going to put it in the mail or have to put it in the mail, you want to get that in pretty quickly. In fact, we're saying two weeks and two stamps. So that would be uh, if you've received your ballot as quickly as possible, put two... Fill it out, complete it, put it in the mail with two stamps, and get it back. Uh, but better yet, maybe drop it off directly to the Board of Elections. There has been a high volume of early voting, and we've gotten numbers from across the state in some of our urban and rural counties, and lots of early voting this year. But again, m most Ohioans will vote on November 3rd. And let's talk about that for a minute. The polling locations will be open. Last week we had on our program uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose. In fact, we'll be playing that segment again uh, following this uh, interview. And you can hear what the Secretary of State talked about with the polling locations. It'll be fully operational, and uh, there won't be any glitches that way. And they've had a lot of people step forward uh, to work the polls statewide this election. So there will be in-person election voting on November 3rd. That's what my wife and I are going to do. And, uh, of course, what we urge you to do is get out there and vote your values. And please be in prayer about this election. So much is on the line this year. And what we have seen, threats to religious liberty across the country in some liberal Democrat states. So, uh, I'm telling you, folks, uh, there, for people of faith, there's a lot on the line this election, and we want to vote pro-life, and we want to vote for our religious liberty, and we want to get out there and cast our ballot. And so, uh, again, our website, if you want an, a nonpartisan voter guide, it's available at our website at Ohio Christian Alliance, and just Google that, or go to ohioca.org. Well, without any further ado, let's go to our candidate spotlight with Christina Hagan. She, again, is running for Congress in the 13th Congressional District. Uh, she's no stranger to this program, as she served in the Ohio House uh, several terms as state representative, and now she is running for Congress. Christina, welcome to the program. Hi, Chris. I'm so excited to get to spend a little time here with you all. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for uh, stopping in today, and we have seen that you've been very busy out on the campaign trail. Tell us a little bit why you're running for Congress. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. So I am running for Congress because I believe that we need strong, conservative, common sense leaders in Washington, D.C., and people who are ultimately convictions-based legislators. You know, unfortunately, my opponent, Congressman Tim Ryan, is somebody who was once conservative in nature. He was once pro-life. He was once pro-Second Amendment. He once opposed deficit spending. And he has turned his back on all of those things and more. He's flip-flopped on those positions and issues. And unfortunately, he's in a district where he thought he could get away with that for the rest of his life. But the reality is, conservatives are not sitting back. And so I think as You know, everyday people, it's our responsibility as Christians, as servant leaders to step up to challenges, to make sure our voice is heard in Washington, D.C., and just to restore some basic decency and civility to politics while also representing our values. So I'm running as a working class mother, um, as somebody who's raising three children who wants them to be able to grow up in this country and have all of the freedoms that I've always had and that I cherish. And, you know, we're at a quintessential time in our country where we have to go out and vote because it is a defining moment, whether we'll stay a free country or we'll move toward more and more socialist style ideals. And that is not the country I want my children to grow up in. The 13th Congressional District uh, uh, moves through Mahoning County, uh, parts of Trumbull, uh, Portage County, and Summit County. In fact, in the urban area of Greater Akron, parts of Akron and Barberton and Portage County, parts of Portage County and Mahoning County are in the 13th Congressional District. As you've been out there and talking to folks, and of course these are blue-collar folks, and you come from a blue-collar family. Uh, your your family uh, owns a plumbing business. You've worked the trade with uh, the family over the years. Tell us a little bit about uh, talk, getting out there and talking to uh, the voters in the 13th Congressional District. What's it been like? Yeah, absolutely. And I will, I'll let you know, you missed one county. So it's a five county wide district. It also includes portions of Stark County, which I represented for eight years in the state legislature. Um, so when I'm out talking to voters, it seems to be the same thing across all five counties. And people want to see jobs and opportunities. They want to see the economy turned around. This district has lost at unparalleled rates and compared to every other district in the entire state. So it's clear that what Tim Ryan is doing isn't working. Uh, We've lost serious and substantial jobs and manufacturing and trades-related activities. And, you know, whether you're union or non-union, you want the economy to thrive. And they see the reality that President Trump delivered the strongest economy that we have had in the history of my life. Um, And people are ready for that style of leadership to stay in the helm and take the helm in other positions of power. And in fact, this district actually trended Republican while the United States House trended blue. And we lost the House to Democrats. This seat recognized that although they've had Democrat leadership for decades, that that is just not working for them. Too many jobs have been lost and their kids aren't able to stay here and raise a family here, although we've got an amazing cost of living in Northeast Ohio and the state, they have just not had the opportunity for that same reward that they had in working hard to be passed on to the next generation. And again, you mentioned my family's in the trades. We are all very blessed to be the third generation to have worked and served in the same trades that my grandfather started in our heating and plumbing business. We want those same generational opportunities for every single walk of life in Ohio's 13th Congressional District. President Trump has made a few visits to Ohio. 
you've had the opportunity to be uh, with the president on some of those visits. Um, he obviously appeals to working-class families. He has spoken that language to them when he ran the first time in 2016, and again this year, uh, emphasizing and showcasing the areas of which he's brought industry back to uh, the American shores. Uh, he renegotiated NAFTA. Um, he has uh, basically uh, had the war, uh, the trade war with China, because he said there was unfair trade practices, and a lot of businesses were going overseas to Mexico and to uh, China and elsewhere, but he brought back a lot of American business, giving them incentives to bring their manufacturing uh, base back to the, the American shores. What are people talking about with that? Uh, obviously, that's been an encouragement to blue-collar families uh, throughout the country, especially in the Midwest. Your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, people are just excited that we have somebody at the helm that's championing the working-class person. I mean, people are excited that uh, the president was so strong with USMCA that he has fought China every step of the way. And it's it's unfortunate, really. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, Tim Ryan, they let this trade bill sit on their desk for over a year, delaying good jobs from coming home. So it's it's clear that the Democrats continue to play politics. You know, even the stimulus relief bills are laden with pork and other expenditures that have nothing to do with getting direct payments to Americans and to essential workers and those who are out of work. So it's clear, you know, the party that once was for the American worker has long abandoned them. And the Republican Party has changed their mantra to be focused on the American worker, um, ensuring that we are protectionists of our own industry, of our own opportunities. You know, the coronavirus in itself was a huge, massive eye-opener for all of us that we need to reinstate our medical supply chains back home. We should not be waiting on masks from China, the very country that enabled this virus to spread and permit a global pandemic and crush economies. I mean, we all had an eye-opener, but these were all things that the president predicted may be true. And so I think we've got a wise leader in the sense that the president has put Americans first. He's put our supply chains first. He's advocated for restoring jobs here in the United States. And the only way we can strengthen the entire world is if we strengthen America. And the president has done that. He's delivered. People are not naive to that fact. And, you know, Tim Ryan tries to say, oh, well, the jobs aren't here. Well, Tim's been here for 18 years. And I asked him on the debate stage, you know, Tim, you talk about all this pork that you drag home to the district, but where are the jobs? It's not correlating to jobs. It's only correlating to job loss. So we have to strengthen our local economies. We have to restore our supply chains. We have to invest in our infrastructure. We have to bring our troops home from these endless wars and start nation building at home. And that's when we're going to see our manufacturing base start prospering again in Northeast Ohio. We're talking with Christina Hagan. She's running as a candidate in the 13th Congressional District as a Republican. Her opponent is Democrat Tim Ryan and they will be on the ballot on November 3rd. And uh, Christina served in the Ohio House as state representative. Christina, when you were in the House, you fought for pro-life causes. You introduced and supported the heartbeat bill. Uh, you have worked to defund Planned Parenthood. Uh, your pro-life credentials are uh, uh, very uh, evident. Talk to us a little bit about that, what the president has done to defund Planned Parenthood and advance the cause for life on the federal level. 
Yeah, I was uh, immensely blessed to go to the March for Life and see our president in person. You know, one of the first presidents, at least in my lifetime, to show his face with millions of Americans who are pro-life, to stand for us, to fight for us and with us and beside us for the unborn and for their mothers in harm's way. Um, I was really blessed in the legislature to be a voice for the unborn and a voice for so many women who have suffered the trauma and implications of abortion, whether those were medical or physical or mental or spiritual um, endeavors, women suffer from abortion. And so it's been a blessing to be able to be a voice and an advocate for women in harm's way, for children in harm's way. And it's not, it's not just public policy for me, um, although it is good, sound, moral legislation um, that's also scientifically obvious. You know, we have a unique, distinct human being in the womb. We should be advocating for them, protecting them as vulnerable citizenry that just yet have not exited their mother, does not make them not human. Um, but the beautiful thing is I also serve in a nonprofit Christian ministry called ICU Mobile. We are the leading pioneering medical mobile ministry. Um, we go directly into the heart of abortion-minded communities. We meet women right where they are, and we show them their ultrasound. Um, we give them free pregnancy services. And four out of five women that see their babies on our mobile unit, they choose life. Um, and even more important, we share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ because we know that lives are only saved uh, through the relationship with Christ eternal. So we have both of those uh, conversions that happen every day in the ministry that I do fund development for. I'm really blessed to be a part of that. And I also work with a group called Connect Our Kids, advising them to help um, eradicate the issues that we have in our foster and adoption um, systems in the United States. And they are working so hard every single day to place children more effectively, more efficiently with Ken and to reduce trauma um, and to reduce uh, what's happening to our children that are ending up being in foster care or ending up bouncing back and forth from home to home. Um, obviously, costly to the taxpayer, but more importantly, costly to that individual child. We want them to have safe and sound placement. And so for me, it's more than a logo or a mission statement to be pro-life. I am with my whole heart fighting for these innocent children and their families and their mothers because I've seen way too much harm come from what abortion does, not only in the destruction and ending of an innocent, vulnerable life um, violently, but also, you know, the repercussions for what a mom deals with for the rest of her life if she's not personally, physically, medically harmed um, by this horrendous practice. Again, we're talking with Christina Hagan. She's running as a candidate in the 13th Congressional District. Uh, Christina, when we talk about um, President Trump, we look at some of his foreign policy successes. Just most recently, the Abraham Accords, where uh, a, um, Muslim countries have been signing a peace agreement with Israel. Uh, the president, of course, fulfilled a promise that most presidents make and that he, they would move the embassy uh, to Jerusalem. President Trump did that on the 70th anniversary of uh, Israel becoming a nation. Since then, he has continued to work with the state of Israel, our chief ally in the Middle East, and he has actually uh, signed peace, peace agreements with Israel with some of its neighbors. Unprecedented. What are some of your thoughts about uh, the successes of President Trump on the foreign policy page, and then how do you look to help him going forward if elected to Congress? Absolutely so. You know, I'll answer the second first. How I look to help the president is to help the American people, to help our counterparts, to help our allies in foreign affairs. I mean, I think about 
just the amazing, unbelievable success that he's had yet has not been orchestrated or discussed through the media. Obviously, the media um, generally at large has wanted to silence these massive successes. I mean, but the Middle East peace deal alone uh, is not only historic in nature, but it's life changing for so many people that have faced tyranny. Uh, for so long, unnecessarily so. Um, it's not only positive, both from a faith perspective and from a peace perspective, but also an economic advantage um, for all people. So I just, I, you know, I would gladly just help to echo and communicate the successes that this president has had. I think everybody knows the president's strong suit is not necessarily communication. I think everybody walked away from the last debate and wondered, what exactly happened there? Um, I do think he's a very intelligent, strategic person who always knows the exact plan that he's executing. And he may have executed a plan that maybe did not resonate as well with people that were just sitting at home watching that debate. He did, um, he did however, manage to expose the fact that Biden would alienate his base. Uh, Biden flip-flops on issues on a regular basis. And he brought um, the Hunter Biden corruption to light uh, because the president's always fighting a war on many fronts. I mean, even though he's accomplishing every single day of his presidency and bringing home big victories like the Middle East peace deal, you won't hear about any of those things because they would rather talk about the things he says on Twitter or they would rather, you know, inflate some issue that really is not even secondary to the great success we're having. So I would just say, you know, coming alongside the president, knowing that God has given me you know, a gift to communication and allowing me to use that as an advocate for my district, as a fighter for my district, but also a fighter for this country and just our ability to help people be at ease with the reality that we have an excellent commander in chief. We have an excellent president who's not only looking out for America and strengthening America, but he's looking out for our most vulnerable allies and ensuring that Israel and others are protected and have what they need to be successful. President Trump has worked to make uh, America number one uh, oil producer in the world and uh, liberated from dependence on foreign oil. That's happened with fracking and with opening up new drilling areas and uh, basically taking off the regulation. The Green New Deal that liberals in Congress want to pass and that Joe Biden signed on to during the primary uh, he did something unprecedented. I'm glad you brought it up. He actually flipped on the Green New Deal in the de last debate. We've never seen that. I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never seen a candidate flip on a major platform issue of his campaign during a debate. And he said, no, I'm not for the Green Deal. I'm for the Biden deal, whatever that is. And so we had to put him down as an unknown for the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal, of course, uh, would do drastic cuts. It would get away from fracking, which is a big industry in Ohio and Western PA, and, uh, you know, it would get away from uh, basically air travel, and, I mean, it would be dramatic. In fact, some analysts are saying if Biden-Harris are elected, the Green New Deal has moved forward, we're looking at $6 a gallon of gas. Does, does the folks that you go out on the trail understand what that means as you're running opposed to that, running as a Republican with President Trump as a candidate? Republican came from 13th Congressional District. Do people understand what that might mean to their daily lives? Christina. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've, you know, waited tables for over 15 years, and I remember waiting tables while serving in the legislature, and we were going through that recession 
Yet we had a glimmer of hope with the oil and gas industry as it was spiking up at the Marcellus and Utica shale development. We are not foolish. We recognize that having boots on the ground means that we have success. And the fact that the Democrats drove out the coal industry, I think, has given Eastern Ohio a glimpse of what they will do unapologetically to the oil and gas industry. And in fact, I almost fell out of my chair laughing when I watched an interview of my opponent the other day because he was pretending to be cozy and supportive to the oil and gas industry. I mean, these are the same people that tried to put a moratorium on hydraulic fracturing without knowing anything about the industry, the processes by which they extract the gas, how safe it is, what the well pad looks like. These are the same people that shut down industry just for the sake of being in control. They love regulations. They love being in control. And they're not happy unless the employment level, unemployment level is high because that means people are relying on the government, which makes Democrats king when people are relying on the government. So I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. I mean, it's simple to see that both Biden, Harris, and my opponent, Tim Ryan, flip on nearly every issue of conviction. And hydraulic fracturing is just the most recent of those issues that they've not only been wish-washy on, but they are flipping. So you can't trust them. You can't trust them because their track record says otherwise. They're going to fight for, they're going to advocate for these coastal elite ideas that only work in a utopian society. They do not understand the implications. Actually, they, they do understand the implications. Without a strong oil and gas-based economy in Northeast Ohio, we can't have the strong offspring of manufacturing. We can't have the strong you know, natural gas supply chain, the polymers that come along with that, the cracker plants. And at the end of the day, economic success is the enemy of their platform for staying in office. So I, I just caution people, you know, look back in history, look at their previous votes, look at their previous words, and vote for people who are consistent in what they say and what they believe, because those are the people that you can trust to lead and fight and advocate for jobs and energy independence. Northeast Ohio has a real opportunity. Like you said, the president has delivered an energy independent America. That was something that we can only dream of eight or 10 years ago. In fact, I remember protesting. Um, it was then Congressman John Pacheri who was doing something where he was saying, I have sympathy at the gas pump. And he was coming to do some political photo op at a gas pump. And I went there and I said, John, you have, you have sympathy. Then stop trying to fight energy independence for America. Let America thrive. You know, stop stop supporting those who are overseas who wish us ill will and instead let American people do well here on the ground. And at the end of the day, their records expose who they are and our records expose who we are. And we just pray that people will vote for opportunities for prosperity, for economic and energy independence and success of this country and of our people. And that is with the Republican Party without question. We're talking with Christina Hagen. Christina, thank you for being my guest today. Give the website so people can follow you on your website. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Follow us on our website um, at Hagen2020.com. That's H-A-G-A-N 2020.com. Or if you're on Twitter, you can follow me at Rep Hagen, R-E-P-H-A-G-A-N, or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Christina. Again, Christina Hagen running for the... Uh, Congress in the 13th Congressional District. If you missed any of today's program, you can find it in its entirety on our website at ohioca.org. Also, you can find the Ohio Christian Alliance Voter Guide. You want to go there as well, and we want to encourage you to get out and vote. Again, uh, the website is Ohio Christian Alliance, ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. 
Secretary of State Frank LaRose is next. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. This is Albert Butler with another word about the upcoming election. There is so much at stake. We might not be able to vote as conveniently as we voted before, but that just puts on Christian citizens the responsibility to work even harder to make sure that we vote and that our vote counts. Too much is at stake to sit this election out. So, whatever it takes, go vote. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We have a special election program for you today as the Secretary of State of Ohio, Frank LaRose, will be with us for the next uh, half hour. We'll be talking about the upcoming election and the early voting that has already begun here in the state of Ohio. Voter registration closed out on October 5th, and then early voting began on October 6th, which will carry through to Election Day. Many people like myself will be voting on Election Day. We are traditionalists that way. But a lot of people are taking the opportunity to vote early or vote by absentee ballot. We're going to talk about those options and what might uh, you do in, uh, as your ballot arrives in the mail. We'll talk about uh, what some of the counties are doing currently as uh, the absentee ballots have been mailed out to voters across the state of Ohio, and they're making their uh, mark and uh 
casting their ballots. Uh, also, our website, the Ohio Christian Alliance Educational Voter Guide, is available on our website at ohioca.org. Just want to say that we don't endorse any political party or candidate, but we do provide educational resources for you to be able to review where some of the candidates stand on important issues of value uh, to you as a Christian, as a person of faith. And again, at our website at ohioca.org, you'll find the Ohio Christian Alliance Voter Guide, and you can print and download that from our website as well. We'll talk about that more later in the program. But without any further ado, let's welcome our special guest, Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Uh, Secretary, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Excited to share some information about voting with your listeners. Absolutely, and thank you. And so, you know, the uh, voter registration uh, uh, season went uh, fairly well. In fact, the online platform of the Ohio Secretary of State online voter registration, I had your team, by the way, and they've given me some numbers. Uh, From September the 4th to October uh, the 5th, the numbers of voter registration, there were uh, a total of 320 7,383 folks who went on to the online voter registration uh, portal of the Ohio Secretary of State, ohiovote.gov is what we were encouraging people to go to. Updates, people updating their voter registration, which was important, 200,130 folks updated their voter registration. And then uh, from the online voter registration, that of course, this doesn't include those who filled out a paper voter registration form at the various boards of election across Ohio, but just from that month's time, 127,253 folks, new voter registrations just in that month alone. Your thoughts? Chris, I know that you had a role to play in helping with that. I know that Ohio Christian Alliance and uh uh, communities of faith all over Ohio were working on that, as well as many other uh, folks that were working to help us get voters registered. It's important. That's the first step in the process. And we knew that this year it's a little bit more challenging to get registers, uh, get voters registered. You know, normally people would be out there with clipboards at a fair or festival or, or whatever else doing it, but that kind of thing is off the table this year. And so we wanted to try to find creative ways to get people registered to vote. Uh, we did that. We, we partnered with barbershops and beauty salons around the state with community organizations like yours. I did a lot of media in the days leading up to that deadline. And here's what I was really excited to see. In Ohio, the number of, of registered voters uh, went over 8 million. And that was uh, that's a good thing because, you know, we also take um, great precautions to make sure that we maintain accurate voter rolls. That means in Ohio, we remove deceased voters from the voter rolls. I make no apologies for doing that. It's the right thing to do. It's what the law requires. And so uh, Ohio maintains accurate voter lists, and I'm proud to say that uh, over 8 million Ohioans are registered voters, and again, that that's an accurate list and something that we work to keep accurate all the time. One of the things that we did at our church, of course, was a Citizenship Sunday voter registration effort, and then one person came up and said, you know, I think it's been beyond six years since I last cast a ballot. What should I do with my voter registration? I said, well, the, the law is is that after six years of inactivity, that means no voting at all, either in a primary or general election, you probably need to update or renew your voter registration. Isn't that accurate, Mr. Secretary? You're right, Chris. The law in Ohio says six years of inactivity plus not responding to the multiple mailings that we send. And then at that point, 
uh, then you, you, you do roll off of the, the voter registration list. That's why it's important to vote, and that's why it's important to keep your information up to date. That's why we were encouraging Ohioans to check their registration. Now, uh, it's also important to know that we're not processing any new removals from the voter rolls until after this year's election, because we, again, want to make sure that we're following the law, and, and federal law and state law are both very clear about that. So we work hard to keep people registered to vote, but yes, we also keep the rolls up to date. So if you've been uh, not participating in the process for a long time, then your name could have been removed from the rolls uh, over the last few years. So, um, again, that was the reason why there was a push, obviously, from your office and nonprofit groups across the state, educational groups, to encourage people to register to vote or update their voter registration. And I could see by the numbers that there were, let's see, 200,000 just in that last month alone that uh, did an update on their voter registration, again, with a number of 127,000-plus uh, online voter registrations that were new uh, to the process. Now, it doesn't include the ones who did a paper voter registration effort that we had turned in through our efforts across state with churches uh, with voter registration efforts but and community groups across the state. So uh, those numbers will be available later. But, Mr. Secretary, so we went from 7 million to over 8 million registered voters in Ohio. Now, that's a high number. And how often does then the six-year calendar of when, I think it's six years, six months, something like that, then if you had no activity that your name falls then from the voter registration, is that monthly then that somebody, that, that the date comes up to that voter in the various counties and then they become inactive? How does that work? No, that's done generally. It's done annually. There have been times in the past where due to lawsuits or maybe the calendar falling a certain way where it was not possible to run that list maintenance process because there are strict laws. You can't do it within 90 days of a federal election, uh, for example. And so it's generally done as an annual process, though. But there's also an ongoing list maintenance uh, effort uh, that takes in a variety of different sources. For example, and I worked on the legislation that got this done. And and Chris, you may have been, you're so active at the state house, you, you may have been involved in, in supporting this where we uh, passed a law a few years ago that requires the Ohio Department of Health to coordinate with the Secretary of State's office. One of the things that the Department of Health does is certifies vital records like death records and that kind of thing. And so when Ohioans pass away, uh, then we, we work to, uh, it's actually a thing called the Steve file. That's an acronym. And they send that over to us every month. And then we work, work to remove with the county boards of elections, those who are deceased. We also work uh, with a multi-state collaborative called ERIC. This is something that the state's created uh, together mutually, really candidly, because we didn't want the federal government getting involved in this business. It is a state matter to run elections. And so there are a group of states, I think there's over 30 states now that are involved in this, and we exchange data. So uh, we, we have a data sharing arrangement with something like 30 other states. Where this is key is that um, if someone was to attempt to register to vote in two states, we would be able to prevent that. But more often what happens is somebody moves from Ohio into another state or they move from another state into Ohio, and they may register to vote in the new state, but they may not cancel their registration in the old state. It's just a thing a lot of people don't think to do. And so this allows us to process that. And also, uh, when if somebody were to, and of course, this would be a felony, it's a serious matter, but if someone were to try to vote in multiple states, as long as they're a member of this collaborative, then, then uh, the chances are good that we would catch that and then be able to refer that for prosecution. We're so glad that that's continuing under uh, Secretary Houston, your predecessor. Uh, there was only a handful of states back then, five or six. Of course, one of them was Florida. That's key because the sister state of Ohio is Florida, as many of our seniors 
uh, first just winter in Florida, then they end up becoming residents of Florida. And then if they become deceased, they're, they're maybe been on, uh, they left Ohio, so they were left on the voter rolls here, but they started voting in Florida because they became a permanent resident there. And so just between Ohio and Florida alone was a great way to clean up voter rolls for both Florida and Ohio. And I know that that continues. There was a handful of states back then, and it's so glad to know that there's now 30 states because many of our seniors now, they'll maybe Arizona or uh, the Carolinas is places where they go and retire. So that alone, with that kind of shift in population, uh, is important to track for voter registration purposes. Uh, so glad to hear that. we got a lot to cover, Mr. Well, Secretary. something exciting that we're, we're starting to see, and, and this is maybe a result of the current situation that we're in, but we're actually seeing a lot of folks that are moving from the coast, these high-priced places that in many cases have been much more severely impacted by the pandemic that are moving back home to Ohio. In many cases, they grew up here and they went to earn a living on the east or west coast and we're proud to welcome them back to the to the buckeye state and get them registered to vote here so that's another good reason for having that multi-state collaborative well a voter registration is closed out and now voting is underway and early voting has begun and we're getting reports from our field office that there is heavy volume of early voting in rural counties which is unusual because it's normally the urban uh, counties that have a higher level of early voting or even application for absentee ballot but this year there's a little different scenario going on and something I'm going to call, Mr. Secretary, panic voting. And I'm going to explain that because talking to some of our folks, because we had the unprecedented move of a, of a uh, election in the primary that had to be rescheduled and there was no in-person voting, there are some people expressing concerns about obviously COVID or uh, the, uh, you know, that the election might be postponed or something like this. Of course, that's not going to happen, but they're concerned about that because of what happened in the primary. And then the mail service is, is something that they're not confident in. So there's people that are going early, casting their ballots in rural counties, and we're seeing a how higher volume. And I just got a report from Summit County. They believe between nine and 10,000 since early voting center at the Board of Elections opened last week, they believe that they've uh, processed between nine and 10,000 people that have voted early. Your thoughts on this? Well, Chris, so a lot to unpack there. First of all, folks should be confident that there will be Election Day on November 3rd. That is not changeable. In fact, it's not something that could change, even if somebody wanted to change it. Uh, The election date has been set in federal law since 1843. Um, Primary dates... uh, by contrast, actually move all the time. And so the dates of primaries, I think Ohio's had something like six or seven different dates over the last 10 years that our spring primaries have been conducted. And so, uh, you know, what happened in, in the spring was unfortunate in a variety of ways. Of course, Ohio was set to have an election and it occurred exactly the same week that states all over the country were declaring emergencies and trying to figure out how to deal with this. And uh, thankfully, we know a lot more now, and uh, that was in many ways unprecedented. There had never been a circumstance like that. People were operating with the best information they have and uh, had, and uh, at the time, out of an abundance of caution. Of course, uh, you know the the initial decision was to delay uh, the the conclusion of the election to give people a chance to have in person voting. That was my 
my preference. And then the state legislature stepped in and said they wanted it to be an all-postal election. I objected to that because I think that there has to be in-person voting always. In fact, I I don't think there should ever be an all-postal election. But when the legislature speaks, we listen because that's what you do in the executive branch. And so we uh, conducted the election as they directed us to as an all-postal election. It concluded April 28th. Very different scenario from what we face right now. And it's important for Ohioans to know that there will be in-person voting. The polls will open at 6.30 on Election Day, close at 7.30 that night. They will be safe and healthy environments. If you are comfortable going to the grocery store, you should feel comfortable coming to your polling location. In fact, even more so in many cases because of the really stringent health protocols that we've put in place. It's going to be safe to be a poll worker as well as to be a voter. It's also for uh, folks important to know that you don't have to wait for Election Day. As you mentioned, we have Election Month in Ohio. If you like that in-person uh, election experience, it's just as good. In fact, in some ways, it's better. You you, you won't impact. Uh, you won't uh, you won't find in most cases. Maybe during high traffic times, like right after work or during the lunch break or on the weekends when the early voting continues on the weekend hours. But really, uh, generally, it's a pretty convenient experience. You you have that same in-person. Uh, experience that you would have at your polling place, and uh, you get your I voted sticker and you're on the way out the door. Also important to mention, uh, voting absentee in Ohio is, is nothing new. That's something that we've been doing for a long time. Voting by mail or absentee voting in Ohio is a trustworthy process. There is identity requirement on both when you request the ballot and then you have to prove your identity again when you actually mail in the ballot. And in Ohio, you can track your ballot by going to voteohio.gov, just like you would track a package you order online, and you can verify that it has been received by the Board of Elections. And so really, there are three good choices. And Chris, as you mentioned, we're seeing record turnout in the early voting period. We've already had close to 200,000 early votes cast in Ohio and uh, close to 2.5 million absentee ballots have already been requested. Just to give you a sense of scale, uh, that is far and away more than we've seen in any previous elections. In fact, in 2016, at this point, it was only 1.2 million absentee ballots that had been requested. We're already at 2.4. And at this point uh, in 2016 for early voting, it was only 64,000. And now we've had more than three times that with 193. So Ohioans know it's easy to vote, and they've got three good choices for how to do so. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. This is Albert Bowler with another word about the upcoming election. There is so much at stake. We might not be able to vote as conveniently as we voted before, but that just puts on Christian citizens the responsibility to work even harder to make sure that we vote and that our vote counts. Too much is at stake to sit this election out. So, whatever it takes, go vote.
So we were projecting that there would be, uh, four, you know, maybe upwards of 40% application for absentee ballot. And then I drew that back as talking from some of your staff and said, well, only 2 million uh, applications for absentee ballot, uh, so about 25%. However, it did not indicate how many people would show up to the boards of election and vote in person in the 30 days leading up to the election. And that's where we're seeing heavy numbers uh, starting to mount in the various counties, even uh, rural counties. And this is what I'm saying is that, especially some of those rural folks, and I would even encourage them that that's a good option for them. And if they did request an application for absentee ballot, I would ask that you you fill that out. And if you can, drive it into the Board of Elections and put it in the uh, uh, drop box there. And there's personnel there during office hours, but there's a drop box where you can drop it. If you have questions about the mail or making sure that your ballot gets back in time, that's one way to do it. Uh, the other way, of course, if you're going to go U.S. mail, uh, I'm saying now two weeks and two stamps. You know, I I've heard that Joe Biden say that, too, put two stamps on there. And I know you're not, Mr. Secretary, because I think there's like one stamp required. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we say with that piece of mail, you want to make sure it gets there. Uh, two two weeks and two stamps. But as not official. It's just something that we're saying as the Ohio Christian Alliance. But I think a lot of folks are saying, hey, uh, mail's been slow. And it has been slow. And I agree with you that the application for absentee ballot process is a safe and secure one. However, that one of the things that you, neither you or I can predict is what the U.S. mail is going to do. And I know that you've been on them and you've said, hey, it's important that we get this through. I was at my local post office today in Akron, and they said we are operating at 70%. That means 30% of the workforce is still laid off due to COVID-19. It is causing a delay in the mail. I've had letters that have been out there for eight and nine days in recent weeks just coming from Columbus back to our office, and I've talked to legislators who we've mailed to, and they said this took eight or nine days to get to me in state. That's unheard of. And I'm a guy who actually believes in the United States Postal Service. I'm the guy that does the old-fashioned uh, Christmas card list, right, and making sure people get a Christmas card, not an e-card, but an actual mailed card. So we actually, I'm the guy that goes to the post office, but I have to say, with operating at only 70%, 30% of the workforce still laid off there is definitely a de delay in the mail what do you speak to that mr secretary well there's a couple things i've had uh, now two conversations directly with the united states postmaster general i organized a bipartisan group of elections officials because i am the uh, i'm the national co-chair for the elections committee for the ohio or for the national secretaries of state association and um here was a couple things that the the u.s postmaster general said first of all to his credit he said that Elections mail is our top priority. He didn't say elections mail is one of our top priorities. He indicated that for the United States Postal Service, elections mail uh, is uh, is their top priority. And I now, uh, in you know, at this point, I think that it's our responsibility to hold them to account for that uh, commitment that that they made. Uh, also, they committed to doing things like what's called an all clear procedure. Now, when you get your absentee ballot request in the mail or when you get your absentee ballot, you'll notice that official elections mail logo on it. It's got a swoosh with some stars and uh, it sort of looks like a stylized flag uh, that has a official status to it. Those are only allowed to be used by boards of elections and secretary of state's offices. And the U.S. Postal Service said that they would conduct an all clear procedure, meaning they would have their uniformed postal inspectors that are sort of the law enforcement body of the United States Postal Service going through their facilities on a daily basis, checking to make sure that there wasn't any election mail that got lost in the in the machine or stuck off to the side or put aside in a tray or, or whatever else. They're going to make sure it's on the truck each night. Uh, they also committed to 
making sure that they were going to uh, incur overtime if necessary to have the people that they need uh, to keep the process moving. They also talked about uh, and, and committed to keeping sorting in Ohio. Now, in some cases, they had been shipping Ohio mail out of state to be sorted in places like Detroit or, or Pittsburgh even, and the idea being that it was a more efficient way, but it, it cost a few days in transit to do that, and so the Postal Service committed to keeping their, inspe- uh, their, their sorting here in Ohio during election period. One other thing... Wait, wait, excuse me, Mr. Secretary, Secretary, when was that decision yeah. made uh, of using Ohio processing centers only for interstate mail, in-state mail? Oh, I be- that was a. They did that in the primary for us uh, on a temporary basis, just for the primary, and they committed to doing that again several weeks ago. Uh, but that that became effective during the early voting and, and absentee voting period. So uh, I would say now is, is when that's in effect. And, and by the way, that is um, mostly uh, an issue for our friends in the Toledo area, where they had long delays because they were shipping their mail up to Detroit to be sorted. Well, there, there's uh, Ohio mail that was going to Pennsylvania, to Pittsburgh, to their processing center sure. and coming back. I mean, and really, people in Mansfield, a business owner, he's actually a state legislator, he says, hey, I mail a mail, a piece of mail going across town to Mansfield. It takes seven days because it goes to Pittsburgh first, then back to Ohio. So if you can double down with them about that and saying, do not do that, make sure it's Ohio processing centers only for the mail during this election season, I think would really resolve a lot of the problem. Just my thought. Now, they have, definite, they have definitely made that commitment as it relates to elections mail. Can't speak for the, the, for the rest of the, the sort of postal stream, if you will. And as you know, they handle hundreds of millions of pieces a day. Really, elections mail is just a small piece of it. In fact, they said that, uh, you know, elections mail uh, season pales in comparison to Christmas season, for example, where as I, as you do and, and I do too, a lot of people send Christmas cards. That's their highest, highest volume of the year. But um, what uh, I have one other thing. We're running out of time. And this sure. is an important question because this broke news sure. this week out of Franklin County and it actually became national news. And I know that the Board of Elections there had a software problem and there was nearly 50,000 ballots that were mailed errantly to people. They did, They got the wrong ballot. So they're, the Board of Elections is reporting they're going to send them the right ballot. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I know that you've been uh, concerned about voter fraud. You've been on top of it. Uh, this presents an opportunity for fraud. There's people saying, well, what about double voting? What about somebody else using that ballot? Uh, what about the how are you going to do some checks and balances of Franklin County of the nearly 50,000 ballots that were errantly mailed and those people were getting a different ballot, the correct ballot? As ex- What kind of discussions are you having with Franklin County about that? Yeah, first of all, this is a um, unfortunate error by the Franklin County Board of Elections. It's unacceptable, and we've made it clear to them that uh, getting this corrected quickly is a top priority. And what that meant was for them to, first of all, accept the, the error and find out the scope of it and then to those voters who had received the incorrect ballot. So, for example, someone in, in this town got a ballot for the neighboring town or, or what have you. Uh, it was because, really, of, of the machine that stuffs envelopes there. And, and so they had it, you know, it was it was off and it was uh, stuffing the wrong ballot in the wrong envelope. Uh, that number was close to 50,000 that were mailed out now in correction. And those went out yesterday and uh, and the day before to, to get those correct ballots out to people. But one place where I want to correct you, Chris, it does not present an opportunity for, for election fraud. And, and here's why. The Board of Elections doesn't simply count every ballot that comes in their door. They only count one ballot per person, and that's strictly, strictly monitored. I mean, the, the Board of Elections can't accept two ballots from Chris Long, for example, or from Frank LaRose. They're right. only 
the ability to accept one ballot per person. And that ballot comes in a envelope where you have to prove your identity using your signature and the last four of your social and that kind of thing. So it's an unfortunate uh, administrative error by the Franklin County Board of Elections that does not create an opportunity for, for voter fraud. Well, Mr. Secretary, we've run out of time, and I want to thank you for your service to our state. Again, voteohio.gov is where you can track your ballot if you request an application for absentee ballot. We'll be talking more about this. Uh, and again, tr- uh, going to the Secretary of State's website for your Board of Elections. Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for your service to our state, sir. Thank you, Chris. Take care and God bless. Thank you. God bless. Again, that's Secretary of State Frank LaRose. And if you've missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.